Today's scripture reading is from Colossians 3:16. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Well, if you haven't opened your Bibles uh, to Colossians 3, please do so. Uh, We are in the final week of our One Another's series where we have been looking at various passages in the New Testament that talk about how the church is to live together in community, how we are to be in relationship with one another in community. We've looked at the call to consider one another, to encourage one another, to uh, love one another, forgive one another, speak truth to one another, uh, be kind and compassionate to one another. And then here this morning, we're going to conclude with this passage from Colossians 3.16 that says, let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. See, words have power. As Pastor Paul reminded us last week, words have the power to reveal truth or to deceive. Words have power to build up or to tear down to dishonor and divide, or honor, encourage, and unite. Words have tremendous power. And so the question for us is this, what defines our words? What's giving shape to the words that you and I speak? Imagine for a moment that you are sitting down with a friend over a cup of coffee or or maybe breakfast or lunch, Or maybe you're in a small group setting like gospel community or something else, but you're sitting with someone and they're sharing with you struggles, sharing doubts, sharing fears, sharing sins, and they're looking for wisdom, they're looking for counsel, they need truth, they need insight, they need clarity. What words are you going to give them? What do you speak to them? What do you say to them in order to bring wisdom, to bring counsel, to bring truth, to bring comfort, to bring hope? What's giving shape to your words in that moment? What's giving shape to the words that we speak to one another as a community? So the title for my message this morning is this, The Worth of Words. And the main point that I want us to hold on to is this, that the word that dwells is the word that defines. The word that dwells is the word that defines. Colossians 3 calls us as the church to teach and admonish one another to build a culture of worship among one another. And what needs to define our words to one another, what defines the culture of worship that we have among one another is to be the word of Christ. Because if we want our words, we want our teaching to have true worth and true power, if we want there to be a true culture of worship that is powerful and transformative here at First City Church, And the word that needs to dwell in us and among us is the word of Christ. That's what we're going to reflect on this morning. So first, I want to turn our attention to what does it mean for the word of Christ to dwell richly among us? Well, in the context of Colossians 3, 
Uh, and you might have remembered this when we were going through Colossians 3 several years ago, that the Apostle Paul is really, he's unpacking what a community transformed by the gospel looks like. And so you read through Colossians 3, you'll see that a community transformed by the gospel is a community that has put off things like sexual immorality and impurity and, and anger and fighting and malice and lying and slander. And they have put on things like compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience and love and forgiveness and peace. It's a beautiful thing when the gospel transforms a community and transforms our relationships. But what also defines this community is that the word of Christ is to dwell richly among us. Sounds like a great thing. What does that even mean? What does it mean for the word to dwell richly? Well, first, let, let's define this this idea of the word of Christ here first, what, what Paul means by that. Because he doesn't just mean more Bible knowledge. Like, it's not less than that. Listen, we want to be full of the knowledge of Christ, knowledge of God's word. We, we want to grow in our biblical knowledge and our theological knowledge. That matters. But that's not all he's talking about. He's not talking about content filling our brains. You see, the word of Christ, the gospel, is not just information, it's also power. As Paul writes in another book, Romans, in Romans 1.16, he says, the gospel is the power to salvation. The word of Christ is a power that transforms us, changes us, saves us. It's a power. Also, Christ is the word. And so where the word of Christ is, Christ's presence is there. And where the presence of Christ is, the word of Christ is there. So when Paul says, let the word of Christ dwell richly among you, he's talking about not just the knowledge and the information, but he's also talking about the power of Christ and the presence of Christ. The knowledge of Christ, the power of Christ, and the presence of Christ. Let all of that dwell richly among you. And richly, when something dwells richly, this talks about the nature of and the degree to which something dwells. So when, when I go to someone's house, when I visit a friend or family member, I, I dwell with them in a particular way. I try to dwell with them in a particular way. Like I try not to leave a big footprint. Like I try not to leave my stuff laying around. I try not to make a mess in the bathroom. I try not to eat all their food. I, I try not to um, just overwhelm them with my presence. I want my presence to be felt, yeah, I'm there, but with minimal impact. And here's what I'm certainly not doing. I'm certainly not putting my clothes in their closet and pulling out their clothes. I'm not putting my books on their bookshelf. I'm not hanging my pictures on the wall. I'm not putting my food preferences in their fridge and in their cabinet. Like, I'm not throwing away all their coffee and cereal and putting grapefruit spindrift in their fridge. Like, my, my presence is not having a maximum impact. I'm just the guy sleeping on the couch or the guest room. Now, contrast that with how I dwell in my own home. Like, it is my clothes, or Mindy and I's clothes, in our closet. It's our pictures on the wall. It's our taste in furniture in our living room in our basements. It's our food in the cupboards and in the fridge. It's our cars in the driveway. In our own home... Our presence, our dwelling has maximum impact. You could say it defines the design of our home. So we're dwelling richly in our home. We're not just people sleeping on the couch or in the guest room. No, we're actually defining the home itself. So to dwell richly means 
to have maximum impact, to define the design, to transform and form what the house looks like, what the dwelling looks like. And so for the word of Christ to dwell richly among us means it has maximum impact. That the word of Christ, the power of Christ, the presence of Christ defines us, defines our hearts, defines our beliefs, defines our desires, defines how we live our lives, both personally and as a community. Maximum impact. So the question, is the word of Christ dwelling richly in you and among us? Is the word of Christ defining the design of your hearts Is Christ's power and his presence defining you? And is Christ's power, his word, and his presence defining us as a church? Because here is something that is absolutely scary that God's word speaks of regularly and gives examples of regularly. We can welcome the word of God. We can even pay lip service and honor it and it not dwell among us richly. Like we can treat the word of God like we treat a guest. Come on in. Yeah, I acknowledge you. You're in my house. And yeah, your presence is here and it will be felt, but it has little to no impact. It does not define the design. It does not transform and define who we are. And friends, how scary it would be if First City Church was content with just saying, yeah, we honor God's word. We love God's word. Yeah, God's word. But does not define us. Does not transform us. Is not the thing that is most shaping us individually and us as a community. And so again, the question, is the word of Christ dwelling richly in you and among us? Is the word of Christ defining us, shaping us, transforming us? Because listen, if the word of Christ is not dwelling richly in you, some other word is. There are no word vacuums in our souls and in community. Like some word will define and will dwell richly among you if it is not the word of Christ. And if it's not the word of Christ that's dwelling richly among us, we let other words dwell richly among us. We can let the word of things like the American dream dwell richly among us. Teaching and admonishing one another with busyness, achievement, and comfort and pleasure. Or we allow the word of politics to dwell richly among us, teaching and admonishing one another through partisanship, identity politics, and conspiracy theories. Or we can let the word of expressive individualism dwell richly among us, teaching and admonishing one another through self-expression and self-definition and self-fulfillment. What word is dwelling richly in you and among us? Is it the word of self-help? Teaching and admonishing one another through TED Talks, life hacks, and self-care? Or how about the word of self-righteousness? Teaching and admonishing one another through judgment, criticism, and canceling. Or how about this one? Are we letting the word of insecurity and anxiety dwell richly among us? Teaching and admonishing one another with fear, self-condemnation, pretending and performing. What word is dwelling richly among us? What word is shaping us? What word is shaping the words we speak to one another? Friends, if it's not the word of Christ, then what's going to define the words we speak to one another? It's going to be words of false comfort, of wealth, 
and pleasure. It's going to be the false freedom of self-expression and self-definition. It's going to be the, self, or the, the, the false hope and security of po- political power. It's going to be the false humility of insecurity and the false fear of anxiety. They're going to be false words that are shaping us and shaping the words we speak to one another. What's dwelling richly among us? What is defining the design? And so, friends, there's such a better word than the word of the American dream or the word of politics or the word of expressive individualism or the word of self-righteousness or the word of insecurity and anxiety. And rather than letting those words shape and dwell, dwell among us and shape us, let's let the word of Christ dwell richly because here's what the word of Christ tells us. The word of Christ tells us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were dead in our sins, while we were rebelling against God, God in his love and his mercy and his grace for us sent Jesus into this world. And Jesus came and he lived the perfectly righteous life that you and I could never live. And he willingly laid down his life to be the full and complete payment for our sin. But Jesus didn't just die, as we sang this morning. He was resurrected in glory and power, in victory over every sin, every evil, every suffering, and even over death itself. And here is the promise of the gospel, that if you turn from your sin, turn from self, and put your faith in Jesus, here's what you experience. Full, lasting, and complete forgiveness. The power of sin broken in your life. You are set free from sin. You're welcomed into the family of God as a beloved son or daughter, cherished by your father, loved by your father, blessed by your father. The Holy Spirit at work in you, transforming you, renewing you, making you like Jesus, walking in the hope that one day Jesus is going to return and forever put an end to sin and evil and suffering and death. Let's let that word define our community. That word dwell richly among us. And if you're here this morning and you've never put your faith in that word, if you've never put your hope in that word, if you've never experienced the power and the presence of Christ transforming you, here's the good news for you this morning. Christ's word is held out for you today. Christ's word is here today. Christ himself is here today to save to transform, to forgive, and to set free. And you can put your faith in Christ even this morning and let the word of Christ dwell richly in you. So if this is what it means to allow the word of Christ to dwell richly among us, how do we do that? How do we pursue that as a church community? Well, on the one hand, there's certainly an individual component here. Like We are called ourselves to let the word of Christ dwell richly in us. And that happens as we sit under teaching of God's word and we apply that teaching to our lives. It, it happens as we read God's word ourselves. We spend time reading it and memorizing it and meditating on it and studying it and allowing it to, to get into our hearts and transform us. As David said in Psalm 119, I've hid my word in your heart that I might not sin against you. And so there's a personal aspect. We as individual believers do this. At the same time, what's in view in verse 16 is corporate. It's corporate. Again, look at what verse 16 says. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Corporate actions. 
things that we do together, teaching, admonishing, singing. These are corporate. Now, there's some debate about exactly the relationship between those, two, three, those three things. So if you, if you have the, the CSB, which is the, the version that we read and usually preach from here, it says teaching and admonishing through singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And so it's like that's the way that we teach and admonish. But then if you have a copy of the ESV, it says teaching, admonishing, and singing. So kind of setting those two things separate. Debates about how those two things are, like the Greek and how those, two th- those three things are set up. Here's the point. It doesn't really matter. Because those three things are closely connected to one another. That's what matters. Understanding that those three things are all part of allowing the word of Christ to dwell richly among us. And so while the, the exact, we don't need to parse out the exact connection between all those three things, we do need to consider what does it look like for those three things to be regularly practiced at First City Church. And so teaching and admonishing. Teaching is giving proactive, positive instruction. While admonishing is correction. It's warning. It's saying, hey, the path you're on is leading to destruction, and I want to warn you against that, to turn from that path onto the path of righteousness. And so we let the word of Christ dwell richly among us when we teach the word of Christ to one another and when we correct one another. And so teaching, listen, we, we, we sit under teaching ourselves. Like we all sit under teaching in order to be instructed, in order to be admonished so that we may walk in Christ-likeness. But the call here is also to teach. And this happens in in multiple different ways. Yes, there is a kind of teaching that is done by a pastor in a particular office, like what we do here on Sundays. There are are teachers who inhabit a particular role, and they stand up in front of people, and there's an accountability and a weight to what they say. There's an expectation that they're knowledgeable in the scriptures, and they have a certain level of expertise. That is a thing in the church and should be in the church. At the same time, that is not the full extent of teaching in the church. Like it is not just the pastor or someone in an official role that teaches. Like teaching happens in the church all over the place. Like I am so, so thankful for those of you that teach in First City Kids Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. You're teaching, you're letting the word of Christ dwell richly among us, especially among our kids. Thank you for that work. Those of you that teach First City students and First City youth, you guys are amazing, and you're teaching, and, you're, and that is part of letting the word of Christ dwell richly among us. Man, I love when we do our Advent prayer gatherings every December because we get to hear from members teaching us the word. Our Bible study context, people are getting up and teaching the word. And so that's happening. But do you know that teaching isn't just standing in front of a captive audience? Like, I wonder how many of you have told yourself, well, I'm not a teacher, I can't teach, I can't follow this because I can't get up in front of somebody and talk to a captive audience. Hey, do you know that so much teaching, maybe most teaching doesn't happen doing this? Most teaching happens side by side next next to someone. One-on-one conversations, small group conversations, casual or just normal life settings where you're just among people. Like so much teaching takes place in those contexts. If you are in those contexts, guess what? You're called to teach. This is a corporate effort. We're all called into this. Have you disqualified yourself from being a teacher? 
Have you not thought of yourself as a teacher because you've limited what teaching is? Like when you help another believer understand the scriptures just a little bit better, you're teaching. Or when you're speaking God's word and helping a believer overcome a struggle by taking a particular truth and applying it to their life, or, or if they're in sin and you're saying, hey, I want to bring attention to your attention to God's word to say, hey, it calls you to repent and turn from that sin. When you're using God's word to encourage and strengthen and build up a believer, you're teaching. You're helping them see the word of God more clearly and apply it to their lives. That's teaching. So much teaching that can be done just in the everyday normal interactions in our lives. And friends, that's how we let the word of God dwell richly among us. When it's the word of God that is, that is taking place in those conversations, as we're being intentional and purposeful to build each other up and help each other grow in our knowledge and to understand the Bible more clearly and encouraging and admonishing one another in those contexts, letting the word of Christ dwell richly among us. Here's also how we teach. We teach with our lives. Like so much of what is taught is not just taught, spoken, but caught. Look, words matter. Words absolutely matter. The gospel is a message. It's a word that we are to proclaim. The word of God, we are to speak the word of God. But we also teach as we model what it means to submit to the word of God and be obedient to it. As our lives are lived out in glory and honor to Christ and modeling Christ-likeness, we teach one another. And so there is wonderful opportunity to model the word of God to one another and teach. And I am thankful for people in this church who model with their lives what it means to be faithful to God's word. Like I am so thankful for men like Jake Waddy who model what it means to be a servant and love people. I am thankful for women like Steph Jackson and Caitlin Matthews who model what it means to be women and, and believers who are dedicated to prayer, dependent upon prayer. Like, I am thankful for people like Tim and Jill Ramirez who model what it means to raise your kids to know and love Christ. Like, there are so many examples. You are examples throughout this church of people who, with their lives, teach and instruct. Now, don't go bum rush all those people and, and say, hey, will you teach me how to do this? But maybe you should ask them. <laughs> maybe you should. But there are others in this church. There is so much of that happening in the church, and it's encouraging. But here's the point. We're all called to this. We can all be participating in this. And when we do this, the word of Christ dwells richly among us. So let us teach and admonish one another. Let's speak the word to one another. Let's help one another understand the word better and apply the word to our lives. And when we teach and when we admonish, let's make sure, friends, let's make sure that what we are teaching and what we are admonishing in is the word of Christ. Look, when you build something, the materials you use matter, right? Like if you're going to build, your ha build a house or remodel a house, you want to use quality material. If you use cheap material, you get a cheap house and it falls apart and it does, it's not stable, it's not strong, it's not quality. And so what we are teaching and admonishing other in, what the words we are using, are they worthwhile words? Are they words of power or are they subpar? Because here, here's what can happen, and, and I'm, I am guilty of this, so I'm not, I'm not speaking at you. I'm saying I'm, I've made this mistake plenty of times. Like, so often what we can speak to people is good counseling principles or psychology principles or good self-discipline principles or speak from life experience, 
And those things are fine. They're good. There's a place for them. I'm not saying don't do that. But so often that's what we center our words on. That's the bulk of the counsel that we give and the wisdom that we provide rather than the word of Christ. And so the question for us is, is the word of Christ what is centering our words, shaping our words, giving depth and power to our words? Or is it something less than? What's at the center? Because as good as some counseling principles can be, or some self-discipline, or, or some speaking from, from personal experience, as good as those things can be, compared to the word of Christ... Compared to the worth and the power of the word of Christ, oh, they're secondary. They're secondary. Because friends, think about the struggles that you and I face, the battles that you and I engage in day in and day out, the help that we need, the counsel that we need, the wisdom that we need, the freedom that we need. Where is that going to come from? What's our hope? What word is going to actually give us that? Friends, it is the word of Christ that gives our words worth and power. It's the word of Christ that gives freedom and forgiveness to sinful hearts. It's the word of Christ that brings healing to shame-filled hearts. It's the word of Christ that gives faith to doubting hearts, joy to despairing hearts, comfort to hurting hearts, wisdom to foolish hearts, wonder to shallow hearts. It's the word of Christ that brings humility to stubborn hearts. Friends, it's the word of Christ that transforms sexually broken and immoral people into people who are holy and pure before God. It's the word of Christ that transforms selfish and self-consumed people into people who love and serve and sacrifice for one another. It's the word of Christ that takes angry, self-righteous, unforgiving, slanderous, lying people and transforms them into a community that is kind and compassionate and humble and patient and loving and forgiving with one another. It's the word of Christ that takes people divided by skin color, by gender, by how much money you have or don't have, by how much education you have or don't have, by your, divided by politics and preference and it brings them together and makes them one family that truly love and care about one another, that truly live in community with one another. That's the power of the word of Christ. Let that word dwell richly among us. Let that be the thing that defines our words, the word of Christ. So here's the question. How do you need to grow in letting the word of Christ dwell more richly in you? Could it be you need to more regularly sit under the teaching of God's word? Could it be you just need to spend more time reading and you don't have to go into deep dive studies. Yeah, you can do that, but just reading God's word, just spending time in it, spending time thinking about it, meditating, praying through it, memorizing it, allowing it to get into your soul, into the fiber of your being. And then from there, what does it look like for you to more regularly speak the word of Christ to each other? To speak God's word to your friend that is struggling, to speak encouragement, to speak correction, to speak truth, to speak comfort. What does it look like for your gospel community to center conversation more on the word of Christ? What does it look like for that word to be pre preeminent, predominant in your conversation and the counsel you give one another? What does it look like to grow in letting the word of Christ dwell richly by teaching and admonishing? And also, how can you do this more wisely? 
Notice the qualifier in verse 16. In all wisdom. Friends, we're not just shooting God's word at each other haphazardly. We're not talking at people. Good teachers don't talk at, they walk with. Good teachers know how to slow down and seek understanding. Good teachers know when to speak and when to ask questions. When to say something and when not to say anything at all. In all wisdom, teach and admonish. Are you just talking at people or are you wisely teaching and admonishing? Let us be wise in how we do this. And here's what happens. Here's the collective effort of all of this. The compound effect. Friends, when you give yourself to spending time in God's word and the word of God is getting inside you and it is working in your mind and your heart, that's one thing. That's great. That's powerful. But when you commit to now teaching it, something else happens in you because now you're reflecting at a deeper level. You're thinking about what does it mean to speak to other people, to apply this to other people, to help other people. Reading God's word and praying through God's word, not just for how does this speak to me, but how could I share this with my brother or sister? That's, a, that's getting into even further, even more. And then as we speak to one another and we receive, speaking and teaching and receiving teaching, when that's the dynamic among us, what's going to happen? The word's going to dwell richly. The word is going to be at work in us and among us and through us. And when that happens, the word of God is not going to be the guest sleeping on the couch or in the bedroom. It's going to define the design. It's going to have maximum impact. It's going to dwell richly among us, and it's going to define our words and define how we do these one another's. So teaching and admonishing. Next it says singing. The word of Christ dwells richly in us and among us as we teach and admonish and as we sing the teaching and admonishing is closely connected to singing, tells us something, signals something very important, that the substance of what we teach, the word of Christ, Christ himself, is so great and so glorious, it's worth celebrating. It's not dead religion. It's not dead information. It enlivens. It's, it brings joy. It causes us to celebrate. It moves on us and in our hearts. Friends, we don't have a small God we don't have an average savior. The salvation in Christ is not just, meh, yeah, okay. It's not one of those self-help things that you find at the bookstore or online on Amazon. No, our salvation is great because our savior is amazing, because our God is glorious, and because of that, it's worth singing about these truths. In his book, With One Voice, uh, Reggie Kig writes this, a theology that cannot be preached is not worth having, I once heard a preacher declare. I can't argue with that. Truth that can't be applied isn't worth bothering about. Here's a corollary to the preacher's quip. A theology that cannot be sung is not worth having either. Authentic Christian faith is not merely believed, nor is it merely acted upon. It is sung with utter joy sometimes, in uncontrollable tears sometimes, but it is sung. We sing because we have a word, we have a savior, we have a God, we have a salvation worth singing about. That good, that glorious, that powerful. A theology, a word, a savior, a God who meets us in the highest of our highest praise and the lowest depths of our despair. 
a theology that we can sing when we are feeling full of joy and excitement, but also when we are feeling beat up and worn out and at the, at the end of our rope. Like we can sing no matter where we are because Christ meets us no matter where we are. You know, one of the styles of song that's mentioned in Colossians 3.16 is, is psalms. And, and as we, we talk about every summer, the psalms, they, they're the original hymn book of God's people. And Reggie Kidd also points this out in his book that there's a physicality in the singing of psalms that, that is meant to shape God's people. He writes this, the, the Psalter is full of physicality. Texts are sung, hands are lifted, hands are clapped, knees are bowed, stairs are walked, instruments are played. The words are designed to become part of us. And they do that by our physical contact with them. We're supposed to chew on them, sing them, and play them so they can orient us to who God is and who we are in relation to him. Like when we sing, when we posture our bodies, when we raise our hands or we, we bow our knees, when, when we clap, even if it's off beat like most of us do, like when we are physically engaging singing, the word of Christ is dwelling richly among us. It's getting into our souls, into our minds, into our very bodies. Like we're being transformed by that. We're being shaped by that. And so we don't just study and read. We don't just teach and admonish. We sing the word. We sing truth. We sing with utter joy or deep sadness. And I think here's the other thing too. We can typically think of singing as something, again, very personal. Like I sing and I'm built up. I'm edified. I'm transformed. And that is all true. But that's not just, that's not the only thing going on here. Like when we come together and we're singing together, here's what's happening. Well, we come every Sunday with a war in our hearts, with a war of what is going to most define our hearts and our desires. What are we giving our hearts to, our lives to? What narrative are we listening to? What truth are we following? What, what, what things are we giving to that we believe are good and true? Like there's a challenge, there's a struggle there, and so often we give ourselves to things that are not Christ. But when we come here and when we sing, what are we doing? We're reorienting our hearts to Christ. And when we sing and our other brothers and sisters hear the collective voice, we're reminded, oh yeah, Jesus is better. Jesus is far more glorious than all the other things that I can be chasing. Jesus is far greater than any other desire, any other pursuits, any other pleasure. His word, his truth, his glory, his kingship, yes. So when we sing, we're reminding each other of that, and we're challenging and we're correcting each other in that. It might not feel like that. You might not think, well, when I'm singing, I'm actually correcting and challenging my brother and sister, but that's what you're doing. That's what's happening. And as we lean into all of that, man, the glory of Christ, the word of Christ, the power of Christ changes us, transforms us. And so friends, the word that dwells is the word that defines. What word is dwelling richly among us? What word is defining the words that we speak to one another? Let it be the word of Christ. In light of how good, how glorious, how powerful Christ's word is, his power, his presence. Let us be those who feast on Christ's words ourselves. Let us be those who teach and admonish. Let us be those who sing and worship. And from that, let us be those who go 
and proclaim this gospel to the world. Amen? Let's pray.